want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. We are not in chapter 11. Around here at Hagerstown Church, we think that the the word of God, uh, the Bible is God's word and that we should open it up and we should work our way regularly through it because he has something for us today. Even though this particular uh, book was written uh, several thousand years ago, it's still relevant for us. It's still true. It's still God's provision for us. And so we slowly work our way uh, quicker at other times through this book. And we've made our way to chapter 12. And, and if, you're, if you're paying attention, we've got chapter 12 and 13 uh, to work our way through. We've come to the top of a hill. And I think at this point, the book will go a little bit quicker, specifically based on the fact that uh, the author is speeding up. And so if you, if you don't have your copy of God's Word, you're welcome to, to look on the screen now, not at the picture of the tent, uh, but at the, at the, at the words of, of the Scripture. But you can also use the hard black Bible in front of you. So there's one of these should be right in front of you. You're welcome to use that this morning. And if you're not familiar how to navigate the Scriptures, no worries. Just act like you know. It's page 1,196. 1,196. And on that page, there's a big 12 and we're going to be reading two verses there beside that big 12. Before uh, we get to that point, I just want to introduce sort of the idea with a confession. I've got a couple confessions to make this morning, and this one's a little bit lighter. The confession is this. I don't understand what people mean when they say, it's like riding a bike. Maybe you're confused. Well, let me explain. I've heard people say that, and I want you to know, when I was a kid, I knew my way around a bike. I grew up here in Hagerstown on the west side of Maryland, or of, of Hagerstown, and, and I was privileged, seriously thankful to God that, that he gave me a bike. He allowed me to be the possessor of a bicycle. My summers were spent burning the treads off of a bicycle. I remember the day I learned how to ride a bike. It was an incredible day. I actually felt as if I had been given, given wings. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You could feel the air just going through your hair, or if you're like me, you could feel the air going through your giant ears. It was a glorious, glorious moment. I remember learning how to ride the bike, and I'm, I remember being able to ride the bike literally for hours. I could go up hills and down hills. I could go through trails or not trails, but I could go through the woods either way. It was like I could just, I could literally go anywhere. It didn't matter how steep it was. I could go over jumps. I wasn't afraid. Maybe you can relate. You spent your summers on a bicycle, burning it out, right? And they say, well, it's like riding a bike. Riding a bike, you never, you never forget how to ride a bike. It's, it's, if you could ride a bike 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you can get on a bike today and you could ride a bike. And, and I'm thinking, well, that's, that may be true. And so you know what I did a couple years ago, actually during COVID? I got myself a bike. And I got on the bike and I thought, you know, this is going to be great. And I started to try to ride the bike. And you know what happened? I got confused. Because everybody said, you can ride a bike. If you could ride a bike back then, you could ride a bike now. And, and I couldn't ride a bike. No, I had balance. But you know the thing I didn't have? I didn't have endurance. I remember when I was a kid, it was like the bike did the work, it seemed. I could go forever. I could ride to my friend's house miles away. And now... I'm out of breath when I get to the end of my street. And nobody was looking, but not even that long ago, I was riding my bike and I got a little bit out of breath. My foot got, I got a little confused with my foot, got tripped up and fell off my bike. 
literally fell on the ground. I'm 39 years old and I fell. Maybe you're like me, though, but not with bicycles. Maybe in your life this morning you're saying, hey, you know what? It's become difficult for me to ride the Christian bike. Or it's been difficult for me to continue in this Christian life. And maybe you're saying, well, it's not so much the balance piece. Maybe it's like me, and you're saying it's more the endurance piece. And that's really what this book is written about. We've talked about that a lot. This book, the book of Hebrews, is written to Christians who are saying, I I think I know how to ride the Christian bike, but I'm really getting tired riding the bike. And I just don't have the endurance. I don't have the patience that I used to have or that I was promised I would have. And I really, really would like to have more endurance. If that's you here this morning, I I believe that you're going to be helped. I believe you're going to be helped. Let's look at the text this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what the scriptures say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, again, we confess our utter dependence on you, both in understanding and applying. And so we just ask by the power of your spirit that you would work in our lives, work in our minds. Father, work through me now and allow your people to hear what they need to hear. Jesus, we ask this again in your name. Amen. If you are asking God to do that, would you say amen? Endurance. Endurance. We all need endurance. Hebrews chapter 10, if you just turn back one page, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36 say this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Friends, you and I both have need of endurance. This text this morning, the first two verses of chapter 12, connecting all that precedes it with all that goes after, is helping us to build endurance. So this morning, I've got two uh, big helps for you on how to increase endurance. So if you're taking notes... Right there, how to increase your endurance. There's two points here. There's several sub underneath each, but the first big idea that we'll look at, the first big way that we'll see that we can increase our endurance is this, to be sure you're looking at the right goal. Be sure you're looking at the right goal. I was reminded of a tragic story uh, this week. It was the story of, uh, of a guy that uh, was in the Olympics. He was on track for the gold in the 50-meter three-position rifle final. His name was Matt Emmons, and he's up for his final shot. And the reality is all Matt Emmons had to do, he was so far ahead of every other competitor that all he had to do at that 50-yard line was hit the target. That's all he had to do. And so he raises the rifle to his shoulder, he aims it at the target, he pauses his breathing, 
He pulls the trigger, and the bullet goes right through the bullseye. It was amazing. However, he got a little bit confused because a peculiar noise went off, and it indicated that he had missed the target. Well, he could see he had actually hit the target. What was the big deal? Well, it came to, to be that he had moved from first place. He, it was literally his to lose first place all the way to eighth place because he didn't actually shoot his last target. He shot the guy next to him, his target. He was confused. He thought he was looking at the right target, but he wasn't. And this morning you might say, well, it's so elementary. It's so simple. Why are we talking about making sure we hit the right target? Because for us Christians, it is difficult. It's, or I should say, it's easy for us to end up aiming at the wrong thing. And when that takes place, when we think we're hitting the right target, but we're actually hitting the wrong target, that can be very, very discouraging. That can lead us to frustration. That can lead us to the point where we abandon this exercise, this race altogether. The text here in verse 2 says that we are to be looking to Jesus. We are to be looking to Jesus. Now, you've heard me talk about looking unto Jesus a lot in the last year. Maybe you're still like me. You're saying, what, what does it really mean for us to be looking unto Jesus? Does it simply mean that we pick out one of the stained glass that we like and we say, okay, that's the one, and I'm just going to look at that, and throughout the week, I'll just keep my eye fixed on that image of Jesus. Or maybe you say, maybe I'm supposed to look up to heaven and, and uh, just pretend that I can see him, maybe similar to the way that Stephen saw Jesus. I'm just to pretend I see that now, and, and that's how I'll get through this difficulty that I'm facing with my spouse or this financial difficulty or through this temptation. And that's not what the Lord has for us this morning. But before we get into some practical examples of what it would look like to look unto Jesus, let me just say this. To be looking unto Jesus does not mean to be glancing at Jesus. Now, if I were to say, hey, I want you to look over here. Some of you would, might look over here. If I said, well, I want you to look over there, you might look over there. But you're not going to be doing what the Scripture says. The Scripture is, when it says looking, it means fixed intently. It doesn't mean to glance casually. It means to fix your eyes on Jesus. Similar to the way a, a runner, somebody who's competing in some sort of target, it would be to keep their eyes on the goal, to keep their eyes on the target. And still yet, you're saying, well, what does it actually look like for me to look unto Jesus? Well, I couldn't help but think of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Again, if you have your copy, I, I encourage you to write that down, write that, write that heading down or that uh, reference, and then turn in your copy of God's Word to that. It'll be on the screen for us as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul here is speaking to a young Timothy, and Timothy is sort of at the beginning of his race. And Paul is kind of at the end of his race. And if you want to think about it in terms of racing, it's, it's almost as if one is handing the baton to the other. Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I'm finishing my race, Timothy, but I want, you to, I want you to hold on to this baton. And he's like, hey, don't drop it. We're going to make the exchange right here. And here, that's what Timothy is all about. The, the book, First and Second Timothy, is all about. And so Paul is saying, hey, I, I've been a Christian a while. I, I've run my race for God, and I've finished it. And look what he says. He's saying, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The end is here. 
It's done. My, my life is over, and what's left, we're just going to pour out for God. He said, the time of my departure has come. Some of you are saying that. Maybe you think your time has come. I think of our sweet friend, our dear sister Joan Kohler, who just this week, the end of her time had come, and she was ready to depart, and she told me so. And she told many of you, I'm ready to go. Why won't God come and take me? And I encouraged her, lady, sister, your time is coming. You're, you're going to be departing soon. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight, which is exactly what Paul says. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He's saying that day that's coming, my race is about to be done. And when it's done and I depart from this life, the Lord's going to say, here's your crown. Here's your victor's crown. You were on the winning side. And here's your crown. You finished your fight. You finished your race. Everything I called you to do, thank you. Here's your reward. And then Paul says, but Timothy, it's not just going to be for me. I'm not the only one that's going to get that award. He says, there's that same promise, that same confidence that I have. You can have too because look at what he says in verse 8. That confidence is for everyone not only me, but everyone who loves his appearing. Who loves his appearing. I want to just encourage you to think of looking unto Jesus as loving his appearing. They equal one another. For somebody who's looking to Jesus, they're look, this is what they're looking for Jesus. That's the end of their life. Like Paul, he's not saying, hey, I'm getting ready to complete my missionary journey, and that's the end of my race, and, and the end of my reward will be some rest. It'll be a long-awaited vacation. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's looking way past these things like we looked at last week, considered last week. He's looking way past the circumstances that he's facing, and he's looking to the end. He's looking to his reward, which is Jesus itself. By the way, that's what's true about heaven. The reward of heaven is not heaven itself. The reward of heaven is God himself. That's what we're looking forward to. Paul's saying, I'm not looking for rest. I'm not looking for health. I'm not looking for pleasure. I'm looking for my king. He's coming. And I love his appearing. I love it. I think about it. I'm preparing for it. I'm aiming my life's trajectory towards it. When you think about loving his appearing, just for the younger ones in the crowd today, think about loving his appearing like your dog when you get home. And maybe not just the younger ones, but maybe all of us have a soft spot for dogs, don't we? Some of us cats, those people are being sanctified. All of us love cats, or all of us love dogs. What happens with a dog, right? A, a dog is always happy to see you. I remember getting some advice, and I don't appreciate this advice, but I think I'll just share it with you. I remember one guy told me when I was working construction, I'd just been married. He said, some people say that, uh, that your wife should be your best friend. He said, but I want to tell you something. Uh, your dog should be your best friend. He said, you lock your dog in a trunk alongside of your wife in a trunk for a, a couple hours, and then let them both out and see which one's happy to see you. Well, we, we laugh at that, but the truth is, what, what, is, what does a dog love? Well, a dog loves 
the appearing of its master. And that's a little bit silly, but it's so true. When it hears a little jingle of the keys, when it hears your car, and it even knows your car from the neighbor's car, when it hears the the rumbling of your engine and, and the rolling up of the driveway, the jingling of the keys, the setting down of the bags, the swinging of the door, that dog is losing its mind. Why? Because it is loving the appearing of its master. And that's what Paul's saying. There's a reward for me because I love the appearing of my master. And there's a reward for everyone else who loves the appearing of his master. But what's really sad is I think that some of us here this morning, myself included, we think we love the appearing of our master. But what we really love are the things along the way to our master. I made a list of some things, generally speaking, that we might be looking for that might actually be our target, that might actually be our goal, and not Jesus, not our master. I think for some of us, we're looking for health. Some of us, we think, well, Jesus is a way to get health. That's my real target. But you say your target is Jesus, but really you're aiming for health. Maybe it's not health. Maybe it's peace. Peace in your mind, peace of mind, peace in your home, peace at work. Maybe it's pleasure. There's parts of following Jesus that really are just full of pleasure, full of joy, full of elation. And yet there's times that they're not. And we see in those moments of following Jesus when it's not so pleasurable that what we were really aiming at was pleasure and not Jesus. What we really loved was the appearing of comfort and not the peering of our master. Or maybe it's security. Or maybe it's joy. And, and friends, all of these things are promised to us, by the way, forevermore. All of them, health, peace, pleasure, comfort, security, joy, all of these heart's desires are promised for us who love his appearing. Some of you, though, are getting tired in this race, though, because you are waiting for joy and pleasure and comfort. You, you've, you've all seen the videos, you've all heard the stories, whether it's on your Instagram feeds or, or, or maybe you've just vegged out on YouTube and you've seen these clips of, of people who thought that they had finished the race. They start cheering, they get close to the end, they kind of stop and they're like, yeah. And then somebody blows right by them. Why? Well, because the race wasn't over yet. They thought the race was done. They thought they were finished. They thought that the place that they had just gotten to, this was the, dead, this was the goal, wasn't it? I, I, I made, I'm done. We see that in race cars. We see that in, in the Grand Prix. We see it in all sorts of competitions. And we see it in the Christian life, too. People get confused about where their goals really should be, what target they're actually aiming for. I know for me, I, I, I want a good job. I want obedient children. I want nice things. I want easy relationships. I want, I want easy relationships. How many of you want easy relationships? Relative health, clean reputation. I want all those things. And sometimes those are actually my targets and not loving Jesus, not loving his appearing, not looking for what he's promised me. And maybe you're with me this morning. Maybe, maybe you, like me, are convicted that there's been a time in your life, maybe even this week, maybe even this morning, that you've loved something else more than God himself. 
What do the scriptures tell us? I remember Jesus is speaking with some Pharisees, and they're trying to trip him up, and they ask him, they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? You're so smart. You're God. Tell us, give us some commentary. Organize, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything, every part of your being, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the target. That's the goal. That's what we've been called to do. And they didn't trip him up. No, 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 they didn't. And instead of him being tripped up, he's helped us this morning to see that what we have done oftentimes with our families, with our hobbies, with our professions, is that we've allowed those things to be the target that we begin to aim at. And what ends up happening in life when we do that? Well, Jesus told us, he said, no man, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, up on the screen. No one can serve two masters. What will happen? Why, Jesus? Well, he'll either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. Jesus is saying, I made you. There's no way in your life that you can serve two masters. What has that got to do with what we're talking about this morning in endurance? I was talking to a friend of mine. I won't tell you who he is, but he's got a little, he's a very good friend, and he's got a three-year-old, which is really cute, and she's named after a southern state. And that sweet little girl is in the car, and they're heading to McDonald's. And that's what she said she wanted. She said she wanted to go to McDonald's. And so they're in the car, and they're heading to McDonald's. They're going to go get a cheeseburger. That's what she wants, a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger Happy Meal, maybe. And so they're heading that way. But along the way, you know what they end up doing? They end up passing by the road that turns and leads into their house. And what happens in this little girl's mind? Well, she realizes that she doesn't really want McDonald's. What she really wants is to go home and take a nap. But that's her heart's desire. She's not going to verbalize that. She does get upset in that moment. And dad asked her, well, didn't you say that you wanted to go to McDonald's? You just said that you wanted to go to McDonald's. And sheepishly, she agrees. Oh, well, I guess I did say that. We're not too different. One thing I've learned is we, I used to think that we grow out of this silliness as children, this fickleness. We don't. We just cover it up better when we get older, don't we? This is what we do with Jesus. We say, oh, we're, we're all for that. That's where we're heading. But along the way, it turns out we didn't really want that after all. What we really wanted was this. And what happens in that moment? Well, we, we begin to see that we can't go to both places. We, we can't serve McDonald's and nap time we, at the same time. And we end up despising one and loving the other or being devoted to to one and hating the other. And Jesus says, you're no different than a three-year-old. Some of you have gotten really weary in following Jesus and running the race because this whole time you've said you wanted to go there, but what you really wanted is over here. And as we pass by those difficult places that you wanted to stop at, those blessings that you wanted to stop at, and Jesus says, no, your race is over here. The race I've set before you, it's up there. And you said you wanted to be there. 
Some of you have gotten frustrated in your race because it's not going where you thought it was going to go. And this whole time, you've been aiming, aiming at the wrong target. That's why you're tired. That's why you're weary. Remember, when Jesus told his disciples to follow him, what did he say? He wasn't saying, hey, if you want to be king of the world, if you want to have a really nice house and all the good things, come and follow me. I got a great package. It's going to be great. Yeah, we got the kind of package like, you know, where foxes have holes. You've seen that. And birds have nests. But I don't have any place to lay my head. I don't have a bed. I don't have a, a house to call my own. If you follow me, that's going to basically be what happens to you. Jesus says, hey, come after me. Follow me. Love my appearing. And just so you know, that, that pathway, that race that I'm calling you to run, that you're saying that you want to run, it's going to make people hate you. Jesus says, people hated me. They're going to hate you too. If you're running on the same race I'm running on, if you, go, if you take the same path that I took, if you say the same things that I say, people are not going to enjoy it. Not everybody's going to be your friend. Maybe you need to change where you're aiming. Maybe you this morning need to change your trajectory. According to this text, that's one way that we can have more endurance. It says, run with endurance by looking to Jesus. What do we do in our lives? Well, we envision the prize. We envision the end of the race. How do people, how do athletes day in, day out, train for many of them more than 14 hours a day? How do they do that beginning even six, eight, nine months before the competition actually takes place, before they're even close to the finish line? How do they do that? Well, they envision, they envision the finish line nine months out. They envision the finish line six months out. They envision the finish line three miles out. They envision it 31. Who would ever run a marathon? That's ridiculous. But they envision it 31 miles out. And when the, the gun goes off, in that moment, they're envisioning the end. And so what are we to do? Well, the first thing is we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. We are to consider, are we aiming at the right target? Are we, are we shooting for the for the right goal, the right finish line. And here's the second piece that I think we can, we can gather from this text, and that is cut as much weight as possible. Cut as much weight as possible. There are some sports that require you to add weight, right? But most of them don't. Whether it's mixed martial arts or cycling or, or running, Usually the idea is get in as best shape as possible, cut as much weight physically as possible. And that's what the writer, the preacher is calling us who are spiritual athletes. That's what he's calling us to do. Hebrews 12 verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses, right? They're everybody in chapter 11 that's already run the race before us. They already cut weight. They already kept their eyes on the goal. They've finished their fight, their race, just as Paul did. They're now they've greeted the master, the king. Now they're in the stands. And as we finish our race, they're surrounding us. 
And as we prepare to run that race and to finish that race, it says, let us also, as in just as they have, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Weight, sin, we've got to cut them. We've got to cast them off. And when you think about these two words, weight and sin, I want you to think about how they're similar. In this text, they are similar in the sense that they are both things that will keep you from running the race. They're, they're things that will keep you from completing the race. They're things that will complete, uh, keep you from enduring or having patience in that race. Similar in that way, but they are different in another. The word weight simply means impediment, something holding you back. It doesn't speak of whether it's sinful, good, or bad. It doesn't speak to that. But then the word sin literally means bad, against the rules. So weight, sin, they're similar, but they're also different. To illustrate that, let me just say this. Imagine you're getting ready to run a race. Let's say it's six months out and you just find out, okay, we're all going to be running this race together. And by the way, I just want you to know there's going to be, we're going to be testing for, for, uh, for uh, performance-enhancing drugs and things like that, and there's going to be an incredible prize for the winner. And so we all are taking this very, very seriously. Well, maybe to illustrate the difference between weight and sin, let's, let's say this. Injecting illegal performance-enhancing drugs on a daily basis and for months before that race will get you disqualified real quick. You broke the rules. You're disqualified. You've sinned in a sense. However, ingesting legal performance-inhibiting substances like ice cream and cake on a daily basis for months before the race, it will not get you disqualified but it will indeed hinder your performance in the race. Do you see the difference there? One is legal, one is illegal. One increases performance against the rules, and one decreases performance in line with the rules. Some of you, if you're like me, you're like, well, I've never ran a race in my life. I can't really relate to that. Well, let's not talk about that. Then let's talk about alcohol. Let's talk about alcohol. I know that literally all the, the air in the room just got sucked out. This morning, if we're going to pretend or make a case that alcohol is sinful, we're going to have a really, really difficult time doing that. The scriptures are full of encouragement and good words about alcohol. Did you know that? And there's not a whole lot of amens on that. By the way, when we take communion, it is actually just grape juice. Alcohol is not sinful in and of itself, but you know what is? Drunkenness. The scriptures are very, very clear that a sin of alcohol is drunkenness. But you know what's a weight? You know how when alcohol can become a weight, when you're dependent on it. When you're dependent on it. Let's change gears. Not alcohol. Let's talk about social media. 
social media. When is social media a sin and when is social media a weight? Well, let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's say, for those of you who are, are married, uh, a, a sinful use of social media would be direct messaging your high school crush. Some sort of, uh, in an attempt to sort of connect on some intimate level. We would all say, well, that's absolutely sinful, sinful. But is social media sinful? No, but is it a weight? Can it be a weight in our lives? Absolutely. When it distracts us from the duties that God has called us to do, be it professionally or at home with our wives or with our children, we can see there clearly that there are times where social media disqualifies us or it actually breaks the rules. We're, we're sinning, we're using it in a way that's against God and, and heading off the path that he's called us on. But then there are other times when all social media does, it doesn't actually cause us to sin or even get off the path. It just slows us down to where we're not even running anymore. Alcohol, social media, what about streaming services? Some of you thought, well, I don't have any Facebook and I don't have any wine or booze, uh, but what about streaming services? Streaming services. Well, we would all say, well, when, when, when is streaming services sinful? We're talking about Netflix. We're talking about Prime Video. We're talking about Hulu and Hubu and Tubu and all the other ones. Well, we would say, well, they're, they're sinful clearly when they're rated whatever it is. Rated R, rated X, rated M for much, whatever it is. Well, that's clearly sinful there. And although there'll be some disagreement as to where the line is drawn, we would all say yes, absolutely. So uh, streaming services, television, it can be sinful when it's pornographic. When it celebrates and encourages some sort of behavior that is contrary to God's word. Of course, we're all in agreement there. But what about when we're absolutely consumed and distracted by streaming services you say are you saying we, sh we shouldn't we shouldn't watch uh, television or netflix for or binge watch it for six hours i'm not saying that that's a, a sinful thing but it uh, we're not going to talk about it now but if you were to read the statistics of how much time americans spend watching some sort of streaming service it's incredible and you say, well, Pastor Josh, are we, is this the sort of church that's, that's legalistic, hypocritical, and, and, and encouraging everybody to just sort of earn God's favor in some way? Absolutely not. I think that we can enjoy alcohol and social media and streaming services, but we have to be careful because, this, because the scriptures are clear for us that these things are deceptive, all of them. More than they being deceptive, you are deceptive, and each of these things in your life can become a weight that don't get you off the path, but they stop you from running altogether. And some of us would say, well, I, I'm still on the path. I've not fallen off the path this way or that way. And yet you've not taken a step in the race in months. And in my life, I'm here to confess that there's so many parts of my life where I've allowed weights to accumulate. I've allowed weights to build up. And all of us here this morning can say, hey, weight is deceptive. Well, I don't know what's going on with those pants. I don't know why they don't fit me like they used to. It must be that that new dryer, it's... Settings are maybe a little too high. Maybe they've shrunk them. Honey, let's, let's get a new set of pants. And so you go from 30s to 32s, and before you know it, the dryer's done it again. 
And now it's time for 34s. They just don't make jeans like they used to, right? Well, that may be true. But what also is true is that you have been deceived slowly, gradually, by the weight of sin. And it is slow. Proverbs chapter 20, speaking of alcohol, says wine is a mocker. This isn't a sermon about alcohol, but it's a great illustration. Proverbs 20 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And you got to take that verse with many other verses that say, hey, it's great for when you're happy. It's great for when you're sad. Jesus did it. Then we read this and it says, wait, 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 but be careful because it's, it's, it's deceptive. And Christians are called to be on the path. We're, we're called to be in this race. It's been laid before us and we need to run that race with faithfulness and endurance. And what ends up happening is even if we're aiming at the right target, we'll pick up weights. We'll pick up another weight. We'll pick up this habit and that habit and we'll say, well, none of these habits are sinful. And we're, we're right. None of them are sinful. But before we know it, the clip that we used to be pro progressing and on this pathway at has now changed. And that run has been exchanged for a jog and the jog for a walk, the walk for a stroll. And eventually you're not even able to take a step. Why? Because you've been deceived. You've been deceived. You have been. And I know in my life I have been. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to cast off these weights. We're to cast off these sins. We're to cast off these things that are holding us back. They're in, are impeding our progress, our walk, our looking unto Jesus. And I want to just say this, and I think this is a great conversation. I wish I, wish I could preach three sermons today, and you guys are like, well, he usually tries to preach three sermons on a Sunday. And that's that's partially true. I wish I could spend more time talking about this, but I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to have this conversation about weights and sins with, with somebody in your life group, with somebody in your D group, maybe a neighbor. Just have a conversation. And by the way, as, as Christians, and, and even if you're not a Christian this morning, but you're like, hey, I, I, don't, I, I feel kind of crushed by all this, I want you to know, in Christ, there is no condemnation. For those who follow Christ, there's no condemnation. Even if all of us are here this morning saying, we've all stepped off the path. We've all been in, in burdened by these weights. The, the good news is that we, we, we're not condemned in that moment, but we are called to say, hey, Jesus, I, I'm going to thank you for allowing me to see this, and I'm going to throw these things off. I'm going to ask you for forgiveness, and I'm going to get back to running. And I'm going to run with my brothers, and I'm going to run with my sisters, because they're going to encourage me to continue to check my own heart, my own backpack for weights and for sins that are holding me back. So have that conversation this week. And just to help you with that conversation, I want to submit something. As you're trying to figure out in your life, is this a weight or is this a sin? Here's what I want to offer for you. There's a connection between weight and sins. And I would even say that sin or weights become sins when you realize that you have this weight in your life and you realize that it's hindering your race 
towards Jesus, towards the finish line, but instead of releasing and dropping that weight, when you realize it in that moment, you decide, I'll hang on to this weight. In that moment, I would suggest that I think it becomes a sin. Why? Because in that moment, instead of running, instead of looking to Jesus, instead of loving his appearing, instead of racing to the finish line where he is now and being faithful in that journey, you're saying, I'm okay with not getting there. I love this thing too, even if it slows me down, even if it brings me to a stop. I'm not willing to let go of it. Again, I've, I've told you, and I just want to bring you some encouragement, I, I, even this week, this past month, this, leading up to this, the Lord has just been showing me weight after weight after weight, sin after sin after sin, and asking me, Josh, do you love me? Do you love my appearing? Do you love this race that I've called you to run? Do you love that more than that weight? Do you love this more than me? Have that conversation. As you're having that conversation, I want to give you Seven questions I think I've got. Seven questions to help you determine if you're carrying more weight. The first one is this. You can write these down, and uh, you can also just take pictures of them as they come up onto the screen, too. If, um, or you could just text Pastor Brett. He would love to, to send those to you. And they might even be in the loop. Will they be in the loop? The digital loop? Not, not this one, but the digital one? Yeah, he'll let you know. That means they will be. First one is this. Have you compromised your values or your principles? Maybe a year ago you had a certain set of principles, Christian values or biblical principles, and you, you said, this is what I think is true. This is what I think is right. This is what I will do. This is what I won't do. But now a year later, you're slightly off of that now. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a weight. Maybe the Lord's opened your eyes, and, and maybe you're like uh, maybe some of the brothers and sisters in, in the New Testament who said, hey, I used to think that eating meat offered to idols was sinful, and I said I'd never do it, and now I'm actually doing it. That may mean that you have taken on weight and you've gone off the path, but it may mean, since you've changed your mind, that the Lord has just enlightened you and you've grown in maturity and now you realize, hey, that's actually not sinful. But that's a good question to ask. Is there principles or values in your life that you have quietly and maybe even unwittingly, without you even knowing you've changed it? Maybe it's having to do with members of the opposite sex. Maybe it's with your, your, your fiancé. Hey, this used to be where we would draw the line, and now it's not anymore. Maybe it's with how much alcohol you would drink, or maybe it's with the, the sort of movies that you will watch, or the way that you'll spend your time, or the way that you'll spend your money. And slowly things have changed over time. Maybe that indicates sin, and I think more likely it just indicates weight. So have you compromised your values or your principles? Here's another question you could ask yourself or ask your spouse. We, we ask these questions not to find a way to, to crucify somebody. Jesus has already been crucified for us. But we, we do this because we say, hey, I don't want you to be encumbered. I don't want you to, to get distracted off the path. And I don't want you to, to just fall and collapse. I want you to have endurance and run this race that Jesus has called you to. And so I'm going to ask you, does that, does that habit that you have, does it have harmful effects on your personal intimacy with God? It's the second question. Because whatever you're concerned about, you're saying, is this a sin or is this weight or is it good? Is it okay? Or does it have harmful effects on your personal intimacy with God? If the answer is yes, brothers, sisters, 
more than likely, that's a weight. Cast it off. Set it to the side. Burn that bridge. What about question three? Have you slowly yielded control to the flesh in this area? And some of these questions really overlap, but they're just coming from different angles. Have you slowly yielded control to the flesh in any particular area of your life? If you're a new Christian, I just want to help you understand what does it mean, the flesh. Are we talking about the body? Well, not necessarily. There's a part of the Christian that has come to life spiritually. The Bible calls that your spirit. There's another part of you that's the flesh. It's the weak part of you. And it wars against the spirit in your life. And the scriptures call us to live by faith and to walk in the spirit. To let the spirit have control. To let it drive the steering wheel. And yet, there's times in our lives where we yield control back over to the old parts of us. The weak parts of us. The parts that don't want to love Jesus' appearing or his reign and rule in our life. And that's a good indication, if you've done that, that we're dealing with some weights in your life. How about this, number four, does it interfere with your responsibilities? And when I say responsibilities, I'm not just talking about your job, although that's a big one. Does it interfere with your job? Does it interfere with your responsibilities at home? Does it interfere with your responsibilities at church? With your brothers and sisters, both in corporate and, and unique individual ways? How about number five? Do you have an unease or guilt about it? Paul says whatever we don't do in faith, it's actually sin. He says if, if if, if you think it's wrong to do something, but you do it anyway, he's saying you're actually sinning in that moment, and you're going to incur some, you're going to wound your own conscience. You're going you're to start accumulating guilt, and that's going to cause you to not be able to look Jesus in the eye, so to speak, and maybe even your brother or sister. And so maybe it's, maybe it's time that you had a conversation with somebody, one of the pastors, maybe your life group leader. Maybe a, a trusted sister or a brother in the church. Beginning to have guilt or unease. Maybe, maybe you're, you're beginning to, number six, it, you're beginning to see that you want to be secret about this, whatever it is. And you say, well, I don't necessarily think it's sinful, but I don't really want people knowing what I spent on that. Or maybe you say, I, I'm not really, I don't think it's sinful what, what I just did, but I don't want anybody knowing that I just played that video game for 40 hours. Some of you older folks, you have no idea the temptation that we face in this day and age with video games. Or maybe, maybe it's something that you say, well, I don't think it's sinful, but I, I'm really, I've been uneasy about people knowing this about me. I think that's a great indication that, that you need to drag that question into the light. You need to drag that weight, potential weight into the light and ask your brothers and sisters who love you and who love Jesus, what do you think about this? Do you think I should... You think I should cast this off? You think it's holding me back? You think it's helping me in the mission? What do you think? And here's the last one, number seven. Does it consume excessive time and resources? 
Does it consume excessive time and resources? Now, I think those are great questions for you to ask one another. When you get to, together, like I said, and ways throughout the week, various ways throughout the week. But I want you to know that whatever it is that is revealed through these questions or through your contemplation of this particular text, that, again, we don't have to feel condemnation. We don't have to feel any sort of shame, but we, we need to see that there's an urgency in our lives. There's an urgency for us to run. It's implied in this set of verses, it's implied in the entire book of Hebrews, that Christians will run the race. Christians will run the race in obedience, modeling, following after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who awaits us at the end, having already been victorious. And here in, in my life and in the life of our church, I want to just, I want to, I want to change something. I don't want the, the test of, of whether we're being, we're, we're walking rightly or not to be, is it sin or is it not a sin? I want us to ask the question of ourselves on a regular basis, personally, privately, corporately, together. Are we, is our goal to run to Jesus or is our goal to just not step off the path one way or the other? There's a big difference. I'm afraid in my own life that I was satisfied until I was convicted by the Holy Spirit who lives in me who uses this word to change me, that he's looking at me and he's saying, Josh, you for too long have been satisfied with the pace that you're running at. And you need to shed these weights off. And not just be content that you're on the path, but get better, get faster, get lighter. And I want to I set the pace. I want to begin with confession for you guys, and I want to ask you guys to do the same thing. You can, you can be like me. You can confess that you're weak in these areas, that you've accumulated weight. If the pastor of the church can admit that, you can too. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the cross. And so do that and walk in the light and, and ask good questions of each other. Now, I want to land the plane by kind of giving some, a warning and a reminder. The warning is this. Some of you, after listening to this sermon, reading this text, you might hear bits and pieces and sew it back together in a way that's actually not consistent with what the Word of God has for us today. You might walk away from this sermon thinking that if I could just run a little bit faster, Jesus will be happy with me. Or God does not love me because I have put sins on myself or because I have uh, allowed extra weights to get on me, in me, on my backpack. And if that's you this morning, I just want to warn you. I'm going to lovingly challenge you. That's not what this is saying. Remember, this is so elementary, but we need it every day. There is nothing that you can do today, Christian, that would make God love you any less or love you any more. Nothing. That is all settled. It's all complete. So we can't do anything to ensure winning this race. And here's what I mean by that. Look what it says at Verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus. This is, the, this is the picture. We're going back to the picture, right? There's a cloud of witnesses. Therefore, right, they're all around us. 
in chapter 11, and they've run the race. They've gone before us. They look to Jesus too. Remember Moses and Abraham and all of them were saying, God, all the promises that you've made, they're going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And I'm running to him, even though I don't have all the information that we have today. But that's what they were doing. And so because of that, they're looking unto Jesus, and he's, they're saying, now look, just as they are looking to Jesus, now you also look to Jesus, and what does it say about him? Who is Jesus? He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. This race of faith, Jesus is the founder and he's the perfecter of that. Here's what that means. It means it's, he's the one who has set the path for us. He's run the race before us, and then he's called us on this trail that he has blazed at lightning speed. Perfect obedience, he's called us to run behind him. That is what it means when it says that he is the founder. But what does it mean by perfecter? He's also the one that run the race. He ran it, and guess what? He was successful. What did his race look like? It says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was he saying? His eye was on the end. He said, every morning that I get up to practice and to train and to run my race, I'm looking to the end. And what is that? It's the Father and perfect obedience to him because Jesus says, I, the Son, love the Father. And then you know what he says? For the joy that, what it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't care about the circumstances that were facing, which, by the way, this is a play on words who endured the cross, which was a symbol of shame. But what does Jesus do? He despises the shame. The cross is a symbol of shame. And people despise the cross, but he doesn't despise the cross. He endures the cross, and he despises the shame. Why? Because he's looking toward the end. What's at the end? Victory. And look at the end of verse 2. What does it say about our Jesus, who our, our captain, as we read earlier, captain of our faith, the team leader, what does it say about him? He's already seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not running anymore. His race is done. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave up his ghost, and right before he did that, he says what? It is finished. The work is done. He's won the race. He did everything that he needed to do. Perfect obedience to the Father, securing redemption and forgiveness for his church. When you think about running the race, think about this idea that we're on a team. I don't know much about the Tour de France, the Tour de France. I don't know much about it, but I do have a bicycle. And I've watched it a few times, and I used to think that if you were competing in that race that you wanted to be the leader and everybody just kind of competed for themselves. But the truth is there's actually like 20 teams with like 20 some bicyclists on that team who are all biking in that same race. And they're helping each other out in different ways. And usually on each team, there's a team leader and that team leader is the one that's going for the prize. Their goal is to be the fastest in each one to have the shortest time, to cross the finish line the quickest. When you think about racing, don't think about racing for yourself. Don't think about racing by yourself. Think about racing with Jesus. He's on our team. Just as Hebrews chapter 4 says, he's our captain. He's our team leader. And guess what he's done? He's already rode into the stadium. He's already finished the race. 
He's crossed, he's off his bicycle. He's sitting there at the victor's stand. But then there's us. And we're on that team, and he's seated, and he's victorious, and we can hear the cheering in the crowd. We can hear the cheering in the stands. We can see the eruption of the fireworks and the prizes being awarded. And guess what it makes us do? Because our team leader has just won, and our team is victorious, it leads us to do what? To just speed it up. Get the weights off. Throw the water bottles off. Get rid of anything that's holding us back, all the extra snacks that you had in your pouch, toss them. Why? Because you don't need those things anymore. You're victorious. Get to the stadium and celebrate with our captain. Here's the main idea this morning. I've held it to the end. Main idea. Christian, drop the weights and finish the race with your eyes Firmly fixed on the winner, Jesus Christ. Drop the weights and finish the race with your eyes fixed firmly on the winner, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we in reverence just bow our hearts and our minds before you. Recognizing that you, Jesus are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And you're the team leader who has finished the course before us. And because of your victory, we can have victory. Because of your victory, we can have victory in our race on a daily basis. Father, we pray that you'd protect us from thinking that we can contribute or add to Jesus' finished work. We can't. Father, keep us humble. Remind us of that truth. And at the same time, God, we recognize that there are weights and sins in this life. And there are weights and sins in our lives. And you've already shown those to us. You've, you've begun by your, the power of your spirit that is working in us to draw our mind and attention to these things. God, would you give us a boldness to call those things out? God, would you give us a boldness to cast them to the side? These things that get in our way of seeing Jesus and loving his appearing. This is our prayer. Friends, I just want to give you a moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed just to consider your own life. Oftentimes we hear the word of God preached and we feel something and we sense something, but then we just race off and we go do something else. I want to just invite you to allow the word of God to marinate in your heart and to lead you to do something about what he's shown you. So I don't know where you're at today, but if you're anything like me, there's sins in your life that are tripping you up. And you're not, you're not even able to stay on the path. What is it? Ask the spirit of God, what is it? Why, why, am I, why don't I have endurance? Why can't I run the race? Well, maybe it's because these sins in your life have weakened your endurance because you think the goal is actually closer than it really is. Where it should have been. If the Spirit of God's shown you a sin in your life that's regularly tripping you up, what are you going to do about it? Let me ask you, who are you going to confess that to? 
the Bible teaches us that there's healing and forgiveness and victory in confession. Who are you going to talk to about that? Maybe it's a bridge that you need to burn. Maybe you just need to burn a bridge so you can't go back and cross it. Maybe it's talking to somebody. Maybe it's getting rid of something, selling something, breaking something. I don't know. Maybe it's not a sin in your life, though. Maybe it's a weight. Or maybe you're not really sure if it's a weight. What is it? What are you thinking about? What's the Spirit of God working in your life saying, hey, I think, I think you need to have a conversation with your brother or your sister, your life group leader, your D group leader, one of your pastors, your spouse. Maybe he's telling you right now, hey, that's the thing you need to have a conversation about. And you say, but I'm afraid. I, I, I'm afraid there will be some sort of subjectiveness to it, and I'll end up throwing something out that's not really bad, but I got concerned and confused. Hey, trust that the Word of God and the Spirit of God's working in your life and leading you to do something. Trust that now. Who do you need to talk to about that? What weights are in your life that are constantly stealing your attention and threatening to steal your affection? What are they? Maybe considering this last verse here, maybe this morning you need some work, you need to do some work on your performance and not actually your performance but that you think your performance is making God love you more or less we're going to really just end where we started that we started today by looking to Jesus we started today by looking to God and blessing his name saying these are all the good things that that you've done the thing that maybe you need to do this morning is say Jesus I'm looking to you by praying and saying your word back to you you are the founder and you're the perfecter of our faith. You're the founder and perfecter of my faith. I, Jesus, I can add nothing to you, to your work. I can take nothing away from your work. Maybe you just need to say that to him this morning. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I recognize that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, you despised the shame, and now you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know... That for me, again, I've said it before, I'll say it one more time. This text has just got me. And I don't feel condemned, I don't feel crushed, and I hope that you don't either. And if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you don't really know what it means to have your sin revealed, but at the same time not feel condemned, that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That I can't make God love me, I can't earn his forgiveness. He gives it to us freely when we humble ourselves and we ask him for that forgiveness in the name of Jesus. If you're here this morning and say, that sounds really good, I want you to know that's something that you can have. Look to Jesus too. I'd love to talk with you more about that. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its power in our lives. God, we pray that you wouldn't let us waste this time. that we really would be a people after today that are not just trying to stay on the path, but to move on that path and to run this race of obedience, with a sense of urgency, but ultimately with a love for your appearing. This is our prayer this morning. Jesus, again, we ask this in your name.